Wednesday, October 10th, 2012, episode number 20 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Today podcast with yours truly, Alex Reamer, available every Wednesday on footballnation.com. And for your downloading convenience in the iTunes store, please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast and the other great shows available here at footballnation.com. Monday Morning Huddle, the Sportscasters, a variety of uh, great football talk shows available for you each and every week right here on footballnation.com. It's a great time of the year for a sports fan in addition to the NFL. We have the MLB playoffs fully underway, busy time of year, busy sports time of year, and as always, a whole lot to talk about in the world of the National Football League. And as we aim to do each and every week on this show, we're going to offer you opinions, we're going to offer you analysis, and we're going to hopefully generate some conversation, liven up your work week, or give you someone to yell at in your work week while you're frustrated at the office. Maybe you're in school, in college, like myself, have an assignment that's really burning your ass, want someone to take out your frustration on. We offer a lot of opinions on this show. I'm sure you want to agree with everything I say. This show is meant to generate discussion, generate lively banter. If you want to drop me an email, feel free to do that. A reamer at bu.edu is my email address. Leave a comment on the show page on footballnation.com. We love the back and forth with the commenters. And also feel free to follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at alexreamer1. But what are we talking about today? Episode number 20 of the Football Nation Today podcast. I said a lot going on in our first down segment. Each week in the first down segment, I decided I made the executive decision as host of this fine program. We're going to do a bit of a different theme if we don't have an interview. Uh, The theme this week is... You've all heard the good, the bad, the ugly. We're unconventional here on Football Nation today. We're hipsters, if you will. We go against the mainstream. So instead of that, we're going to do the inspirational, the dominating, the surprising, the horrific, and the depressing. I know, it's awfully, awfully catchy, but it gives me a way to run down the latest happenings from the past week in the NFL and look ahead to the biggest happenings this upcoming week in the NFL. Then in our second down segment, we talk about the biggest off-field story or stories in this week's case of the week. The Bounty Gate suspensions have been re-implemented by the NFL, but the real interesting off-field story, of course, is what has been going on in Kansas City. And it's not just Matt Castle getting cheered when he suffered the concussion last Sunday. It's not just Chiefs offensive lineman Eric Winston going off on the Chiefs fans who cheered Matt Castle's concussion. We will play a snippet of Winston's rant coming up but it's looking at the crux of the issue. Why were the Chiefs fans cheering when Castle was removed from the game with the concussion this past Sunday? We're going to dive deeper into the story in the second down segment. Third down segment, it's the big up slowdown, touching on a variety of topics from Robert Griffin III's concussion to Drew Brees passing Johnny Unitas' record for most consecutive games with a touchdown pass. And then in the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. The Tennessee Titans are 1-4. Running back Chris Johnson is having a horrific season. And he had some pretty harsh comments, not for himself, but for his teammates. Nothing like taking accountability, man. It's Football Nation today here on footballnation.com. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll be right back. So here we go to our first down segment, the biggest on-field stories of the week and the most inspirational 
on-field story of the past week was undoubtedly the Indianapolis Colts. One week after it was announced, their head coach Chuck Pagano had been undergoing leukemia treatments. Pagano recovering, not coaching the Colts. The Indianapolis Colts came back from a 21-3 deficit at halftime to defeat the Green Bay Packers 30-27 at home. Uh, Andrew Leck led the Colts on a game-winning touchdown drive as he found Reggie Wayne uh, in the end zone for the game winner. Wayne has been a godsend for Luck. He's been he's a Hall of Fame caliber receiver. Uh, obviously, him and Peyton Manning, a great tandem for over a decade in Indianapolis, or close to a decade, I should say. And uh, Andrew Luck and Reggie Wayne have terrific chemistry as well. I remember when Wayne re-signed with the Colts this past offseason. Seemed to be, to me, a curious move at the time. But the Colts are 2-2. Two and two. They're more than respectable. And Reggie Wayne has the opportunity to work with an improving quarterback in Andrew Luck, an elite rookie quarterback in Andrew Luck, and Wayne's presence on the field has been a godsend for Luck because not every rookie quarterback has a Hall of Fame caliber receiver to work with. Um, and the Packers completely spit the bit, especially defensively this past week in Indianapolis. They allowed the game-winning touchdown drive Luck to Wayne after Aaron Rodgers hit James Jones for a touchdown, with made, which made it 27-22 with about four minutes to play, but the Colts came down the field game-winning touchdown drive that Green Bay defense continues to struggle mightily after a bad 2011. 2012 is off to a similar start. And the offensive line got crushed a few weeks ago against Seattle in that now infamous Monday night game. They allowed eight sacks. Well, they allowed five sacks this past Sunday against Indianapolis. The new uh, defensive system they have there seems to be working, getting consistent pressure on the quarterback, and they certainly got consistent pressure on Aaron Rodgers as they sacked him five times on Sunday afternoon in what was an inspirational win and a terrific win for Andrew Luck in the Indianapolis Colts as a team and as a franchise. Seriously, you love seeing stories like that. That's why you. That's one of the main reasons why I've watched sports, follow sports as closely as I do for moments like this past Sunday when the Colts came back to defeat the Green Bay Packers at home. Uh, then we had the dominating from this past week. Uh, Chicago continues to dominate. They trounced Jacksonville 41-3. The Bills continue to absolutely suck, and the Niners are really good. It's a combination of the two. San Francisco beat Buffalo 45-3 this past week. Alex Smith threw for 303 yards and three touchdown passes in the victory. The 49ers amassed a franchise record 621 yards of offense against Buffalo last weekend. Uh, the Giants started down, uh, started the game trailing Cleveland 14 to nothing. But they came back to win 41-27 on Sunday. I thought that was a pretty big win for the Giants. Because, yes, the Browns are the Browns. But the Giants, every single year under Tom Coughlin, seem to have a slip-up or two in the regular season. Last week, it was that primetime game against Jacksonville. This year, it was looking like it was going to be a Sunday afternoon against the Cleveland Browns. Should be an easy victory for the Super Bowl reigning New York, uh, for the Super Bowl champion New York Giants. But they fell down early, 14-0 to the Browns. But then Eli Manning and the Giants offense began to dominate. They avoided the trap game and won by double digits. And the Patriots beat down the Broncos this past weekend, 31-21 in Foxborough. Now, the Patriots didn't dominate the game necessarily like the Bears did, the 49ers did, or the Giants did. But... They did, but the offense did dominate the ball. The offense dominated the tempo. Uh, the offense couldn't put the Broncos away, 
and they were bailed out by Willis McGahee fumble late in the fourth quarter. That defensive secondary still is very suspect for the Patriots. But as I said, I put the Patriots in the domination category for last week because their offense controlled the tempo of the game, kept the defense off the field for the most part, and thus kept the ball out of Peyton Manning's hands. Uh, the Patriots recorded a franchise record, 35 first downs on Sunday. Tom Brady threw for 223 yards. Wes Welker had 13 catches to lead the team. And after two weeks in quote-unquote Bill Belichick's doghouse, and after spending a couple weeks behind Julian Edelman on the depth chart, Wes Welker is back towards the top of the league in receptions. He's second in the NFL in receptions. You want an off-field storyline to look out for for the Patriots entering this Sunday's game at Seattle? Look at Wes Welker's playing time, especially early on, because after the game on Sunday, in an interview on a local Boston sports television station, when asked about his 13 catchers, Welker responded by saying, quote, and it's nice to stick it to Bill sometimes, too. <laughs> Close quote. Uh, knowing Bill Belichick, not sure if he took to that all that well. <laughs> so we'll see if there are any repercussions for Welker making that innocuous, joking comment to Belichick after the game this past Sunday. I personally don't think there should be any repercussions whatsoever for Welker, but then again, he was benched two years ago for making Rex Ryan foot jokes prior to the playoff game against the New York Jets. So that's an off-field storyline to watch if you want to watch one for the Patriots, and I mention it because they seldom pop up. Uh, but the real story, again, for the Patriots on Sunday, the rushing game. They rushed for 252 yards. Stephen Ridley rushed for 151 yards himself. The hurry-up offense for the Patriots and the one that they ran on Sunday against Denver was phenomenal to watch. It was a thing of beauty. It was incredibly aesthetically pleasing, and it it's a testament, really, to how well the Patriots are conditioned and how well they're prepared. For them to go like that, taking I believe the time was they took an average of 20, 25 seconds in between plays, something like that. No huddle, just boom, boom, get to the line, play, get to the line, play, etc. Just doing hurry up for the bulk of their drives, especially early on in the game in the first half. Just unreal. And it speaks to the conditioning of the offensive line that they were able to keep up with the rest of the offense to set themselves so quickly after no huddle, no downtime after each play, especially a lot of running plays when they're down there in the trenches. And it speaks to how well the Patriots are prepared. I don't think they had one false start on Sunday. Not every team can do that. Hell, a lot of teams in the NFL can't get set up after they have a huddle. <laughs> they get false starts or have miscommunications and have to take a timeout to get the play in. Uh, the Patriots ran the no huddle seamlessly. They ran the no huddle better than a lot of teams run their regular offenses with huddles, with timeouts, etc. So they deserve an immense amount of praise for that. The way they're prepared and the way that offensive line is conditioned. Um, again, you cannot say enough about the way the Patriots ran the hurry up offense last Sunday against Denver. And it's, and it's impossible for the opposing defense to stop you when they don't even have time to set up as Denver didn't have time to set up against the Patriots and that rushing attack this past week. We head on to our surprising, after week five of the NFL, the Minnesota Vikings. Right up there with the Chicago Bears atop the NFC North at 4-1. and one. They beat the Titans 30-7. to seven. Percy Harvin had a rushing and receiving touchdown. I like the way that Harvin's being involved in more facets of the offense. He's really a dynamic talent. I'm glad that Minnesota's using him in a more unconventional way, giving him some rushing attempts, and obviously utilizing him as a receiver as well. And Christian Ponder. 
two TD passes, 25 for 35, 258 yards, and I am digging the ponder to Kyle Rudolph connection. And what's also surprising, entering week six of the NFL, every team in the NFC West has a 500 record or better. Yes, even the Rams as they beat the Cardinals last Thursday night on the NFL Network. Sam Bradford looked pretty good in that game. The St. Louis defense got pressure on Kevin Cobb as well. Uh, but every team in the NFC West has a 500 record or better. Can't say that too often, so I put that under the surprising. The horrific is Cam Newton in his performance in his sophomore season as quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. 16-12 was the score of the Seahawks-Panthers game this past Sunday. Seahawks win. Cam Newton went 12 for 29, 141 yards on the season. Newton has four touchdown passes, five interceptions, and he's fumbled the football five times as well. Sophomore slump indeed. And the depressing from the past week in the NFL would be the New York Jets. Now, the Jets are 2-3, and three, but they've lost at Pittsburgh against San Francisco, and most recently against Houston. They're without Dustin Keller, San Antonio Holmes, and Darrell Rivas. So their three losses have come against teams that are better than them, and they're without some of their best players. They're without Darrell Rivas for the entirety of the season, so the defense takes a massive, massive hit, which we've talked about in previous editions of Football Nation today. Revis is in the top five, as far as I'm concerned, in MVPs of the league. When he's not on the field for the, defensively for Rex Ryan and the Jets, that completely changes how they play defense. Ryan just leaves Revis on one side of the field, can count on him to lock down the opposing team's number one receiver with Kyle Wilson or somebody else in there instead of Revis. Ryan obviously can't do that. He has to augment his blitz. He has to change his blitz schemes. He has to change the way he does defense completely. So Revis in his passing league especially, one of the top five most valuable players in the league. It's an offense that struggles to score anyway. Sanchez is without Keller, who's one of his favorite targets at tight end. And without his number one receiver, even though he is a knucklehead, he's the most talented receiver on that team, San Antonio Holmes. Uh, so with those holes on the roster and the schedule they've played thus far, the fact that the Jets are 2-3 and three is actually one of the least surprising things through five weeks of the NFL. But <laughs> it's New York. It's the Jets. It's a year after they missed the playoffs. Fans are hungry. The media is bloodthirsty. And boy, oh boy, is it getting ugly. Watch that game on Monday night. In the fourth quarter, Jets are on the goal line. Give it to Tebow. Rushes for the first down. Then Sanchez comes back in. Jets can't score. They go three and out, have to settle for the chip shot field goal. On the potential game-winning drive in the fourth quarter, tight end Jeff Cumberland couldn't come down with a high Sanchez throw. Ball is intercepted. Final play of the game, Sanchez pass, batted down by defensive lineman J.J. Watt, who's an absolute animal. Uh, but Sanchez, it's amazing. He could be facing the slightest pressure. Two, three guys coming in. No blitz, no nothing. And he reads it terribly. He Diddles around in the pocket, can't find a read on a receiver, takes the snap or takes the sack or throws the ball away. He isn't in sync with any of his receivers. And again, I understand it. Holmes is out. Keller is out. A lot of new guys on that team. A lot of rookies. A lot of new acquisitions. Jeremy Curley is his favorite target right now. But my goodness. I mean, you're practicing with those guys every day. You've been around those guys or most of those guys in training camp and in offseason mini camps. He's not in sync with any of those guys at all. Uh, he still really struggles to make the simplest of reads. Um, he was given a $20 million extension last offseason. 
but the pressure is mounting for is mounting against Mark Sanchez. And the time may be coming soon for the Jets to start Tim Tebow. Give him a chance. Because if he fails, then the fan base can shut the hell up. Because Tebow would have gone in a quarterback, failed, not impressed, and then the fans will have to accept Mark Sanchez because they would have seen Tebow play, and Tebow would have proven he's not any better. Or Maybe, just maybe, Tim Tebow will go in there and succeed. He succeeded in Denver last year. Broncos made the playoffs under his leadership at quarterback. He certainly succeeded in college with Florida. Tim Tebow has succeeded. He's won at a relatively high level, or a very high level, everywhere he's played in his professional football career. And I'm not saying he's going to carry that success over to the Jets, because I don't think their offensive line is necessarily good enough to give Tim Tebow some of the protection he needs. But the time is coming. The pressure is mounting. And the Jets may have no choice but to start Tim Tebow in the coming weeks. And it could be, and it's really a win-win for them. Because if Tebow starts and fails, then the fan base and media can keep quiet about it. And the Jets can put Mark Sanchez back in. But there's that chance Tebow may succeed. Because, well, I hate to resort to cliches, but it happens with him. It tends to happen. Not a guarantee it could happen, but it might happen. Because the status quo most certainly is not working and the status quo with Sanchez under center right now for the Jets is getting awfully ugly. I was on record last week as saying Tebow time will have to wait until week 9 at the earliest. That's when the Jets have their bye. But may have to speed up a little bit, especially if the Jets suffer another loss in the coming week and another lackluster offensive performance. Now, I could have just as easily put the Kansas City Chiefs with the New York Jets in the depressing category but the Chiefs were 1-4, lost 9-6 to to Baltimore this past Sunday, are so, are so depressing, they deserve their own segment. Second down, as I mentioned, Chiefs are 1-4, lost 9-6 to to the Ravens this past weekend. Uh, one of the rarest things you'll ever see in today's NFL, 9-6, to no touchdowns scored. feel sorry for the folks that had to watch that game on their CBS affiliate. Uh, but before the game in Kansas City, just to set the scene, then we'll play a snippet of the Eric Winston rant, and then we'll give you more analysis on the situation in KC. Before the game, a helicopter flew over Arrowhead Stadium, and the helicopter had a sign. And the sign read, quite simply, Fire Pioli, Bench Castle. Matt Castle proceeded to throw for 92 yards and two interceptions before suffering concussion in last Sunday's game. When Castle was carted off the field, a significant audible percentage of the 70,000-plus fans at Arrowhead Stadium were cheering. And this, of course, set first-year offensive lineman Eric Winston off on a rant of epic proportions. Volume's a little low, so listen up. It's more than worth it. But when somebody gets hurt, there are long lasting ramifications to the game we play. Long lasting ramifications to the game we play. All right, I, I've already kind of come to the understanding I probably won't live as long because I play this game and that's okay. That's the choice I've made. That's a choice all of us has made. But when you cheer, when you cheer somebody getting knocked out, I don't care who it is. And it just so happened to be Matt Castle. It's sickening. It's 100% sickening. And I've never, ever, and I've been in some rough times on some rough teams, I've never been more embarrassed in my life to play football than in that moment right there. And I get emotional about it because these guys, they work their butts off. Matt Castle hasn't done anything to you people. Hasn't done anything to you people. Hasn't done anything to the media writers that kill him. 
hasn't done anything wrong to the people that come out here and cheer him, hey, if he's not the best quarterback, he's not the best quarterback, and that's okay. But he's a person. And he got knocked out in a game. And we got 70,000 people, people cheering that he got knocked out. Boo him all you want. Boo me all you want. Throw me under the bus. Tell me I'm doing a bad job. Say I got to protect him more. Do whatever you want. Say whatever you want. But if you're one of those people, one of those people that were out there cheering or even smiled when he got knocked out, I just want to let you know, and I want everybody to know that I think it's sickening and disgusting. Now, this is Winston's fifth year in the league, his first year with Kansas City. He was most recently with Houston and the Texans. Uh, but I give Winston a lot of credit, obviously. Uh, he's only been in Kansas City for five weeks, so he's not a chief lifer. But still, those are fans who watch him every week. He has to live in the city. It's tough to call out the fans. And in this case, Winston is absolutely right. He could not be more right. It is refreshing for a professional athlete to speak so articulately and be so correct about an issue of this magnitude. So I give Winston a lot of credit. He's absolutely right. He deserves the utmost praise. Everybody thinks that. That's a unanimous decision. And that's why it's a boring conversation to have because there's no other side. So, with that said, it's time to take a greater context here when looking at the situation in Kansas City and not just blurt something out. Oh, fans suck. Chiefs fans are like Philly fans. They're worse than Philly fans. Bloodthirsty animals. Get them out of here. No. Winston's rant was right on the money. And any Chief fan who cheered Matt Castle's concussion last Sunday acted shamefully and deserves to be scolded for that. But as I said, there's a greater context here that we should understand. Kansas City is one of the smallest NFL markets in the country, and Chiefs fans are undoubtedly some of the most passionate. They bang out that 70,000-plus-seat stadium every single week, tailgating starts at 7.45 a.m. There's no hockey team in Kansas City. There's no basketball team. The Royals have sucked for 30 years. They only have the Chiefs. And the Chiefs haven't won a playoff game since Joe Montana was their quarterback. The Chiefs have been a doormat for 20 years. We don't know what it's like to be a fan of the Chiefs. I don't know what it's like to be a fan or follower of the Chiefs. Here in Boston, the Red Sox win 69 games in 2012, but we have the Patriots, perennial Super Bowl contenders to look forward to. Or we have the Celtics coming off a year in which they went to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Miami Heat. Hockey's in a lockout, but the Bruins just won a Stanley Cup two seasons ago. In Kansas City, they have no hockey team. They have no basketball team. Their baseball team, the Royals, have been the league's laughingstock for going on three decades. And their football team has not won a playoff game since Joe Montana was their quarterback. You don't know what it's like to be a Kansas City sports fan and a fan of the Chiefs. Scott Pioli, Scott Pioli came aboard a couple of years ago with a smug, arrogant attitude. He fired some who had worked in that Kansas City front office for, decade, for decades, and he runs the organization like a tyrant. Former coach Todd Haley claimed Pioli tapped into his phone calls. Pioli refuses to, to do interviews. He doesn't speak to the media. He doesn't offer answers to fans. It's fine if you dislike the media, but the media serves as a surrogate of the fans. 
The media is the middleman between the team and the fans. And Pioli, in refusing to speak with the media, is refusing to address the fans. There's an absentee owner. Scott Pioli's big move was trading a second-round pick for Matt Castle and Mike Vrabel a couple of years ago. Last offseason, he signed Castle to a multi-year contract extension. Why? His performance certainly didn't, wor uh, didn't warrant it. So why did he do it? Either because he doesn't have a better option or wants to prove he's right. Matt Castle is the Kansas City Chiefs franchise quarterback. How would you like it? How would you like it if you had an absentee owner, the man, and if the man who ran your organization, Scott Pioli, the guy who came over from New England with a smug, arrogant attitude, refuses to do interviews, refuses to address any questions facing the franchise, signed Matt Castle to a multi-year extension last offseason when he didn't deserve it to be the franchise QB. How would you like it? I bet you wouldn't like it at all. I bet you you'd be quite frustrated indeed. The fans were cheering change last Sunday, even if that change was forced on the team, and even if that change is Brady Quinn. Think of that. Chiefs fans are in such a lowly price that Brady Quinn, Brady Quinn, is anticipated change for them at quarterback. They're pent up and frustrated. You would be too. That does not excuse Chiefs fans for cheering Matt Castle's concussion. It does not take them off the hook, but it adds further context into why they did it. They're not bloodthirsty savages. They're frustrated just as you would be watching a football team that has not won a playoff game since Joe Montana was its quarterback 20 years ago. And now the NFL, another offseason news to close, out, to close this out, then we go to second down, has reinstated the suspensions given to Saints players. Jonathan Vilma, once again suspended for the season. Will Smith still suspended for four games. Scott Fajid and Anthony Hargrove suspensions, though, have been decreased. We'll see if Jonathan Vilma and the Saints players continue to take the fight to Roger Goodell in the NFL. We'll have more on this next week, obviously, as the story develops over the coming days. But I think that this may be the final stand for Vilma and those players. They have proved they participated in Bounty Gate. They did the crimes. They deserve to pay the time. I still respect Vilma and the Saints players for standing up to Goodell, standing up to the NFL, because as I said a couple weeks ago, when the story first broke about the Saints fighting the suspension, uh, Jonathan Vilma is not going to coach in this league once he retires. He's not going to work as an analyst for the league's network after he retires. ESPN probably won't hire him after he retires. I mean, this is it for him. Going after the NFL, going after Roger Goodell, I respect that to an extent. But he's wrong. He did the crime. He deserves to pay the time. As one of the captains of that team, as a leader of that defense in the Bounty Gate era, if you will, a couple of seasons ago under defensive coordinator Greg Williams, uh, Jonathan Vilma has to take accountability, and a lot of account accountability for, quite frankly, for the atrocities, for the atrocities, and that's what they were, atrocities that went on in New Orleans. Time for our third down segment. It's the Big Up Slowdown segment. I give you a thought. And then I express my agreement or disagreement with it by saying big up or slow down. Sticking with the Saints. Hall of Fame game against the Chargers last Sunday night. Sean Payton, Mickey Loomis, Joe Vitt were all in attendance. No contact from the team. They were up in a box, but they were in attendance. And they saw Drew Brees pass Johnny Unitas' record for most consecutive games with a touchdown pass. Big up or slow down. Brees breaking the record is a big deal. I say slow down here. Not really a big deal. Yep, it's a nice record. It's a nice moment. 
it's a nice counting statistic, and it shows that Drew Brees has been a very good quarterback for a long time now in this league, three to four years. For the past handful of years, Drew Brees has been one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. Congratulations, bravo. But do you know the most important statistic that's come in the Drew Brees era as Saints quarterback? The number is one, and that's the amount of Super Bowls the Saints have won with Brees. That's the most important thing, winning a Super Bowl. And Brees and the Saints accomplished that in the 2009 season. So if I'm going to look back at the past four or five years as Drew Brees as a starting quarterback in the New Orleans Saints, I'm not going to define him by this record, the most consecutive game touchdown record. No, I'm going to define him by winning that Super Bowl. They're 1-4 this year, probably won't happen. Defense is, a, is a appalling, but they did win in 9 And that's what I'm going to define Drew Brees at, Drew Brees of, Drew Brees as, excuse me, not the single seat, not the consecutive touchdown game record. It's not even the single season touchdown record. And the game is more pass oriented now anyway. I mean, so records like these are meant are gonna be broken. I mean, Andrew Luck, would it surprise you if in a couple of in a handful of years Andrew Luck broke this record? Or Robert Griffin the third, or, you know, uh Aaron Rodgers or, or Tom Brady, or you know, I'm surprised Peyton Manning didn't break this one in Indianapolis. I mean, it, it's a pass oriented league now. So it's a nice record. It's a nice moment, but if I'm going to reflect on Drew Brees' tenure thus far as Saints quarterback in the past handful of years or so, I'm going to reflect on the Super Bowl victory he has, because that's what they play for in the NFL, not over individual statistics, not over silly individual records like these. Texans beat the Jets on Monday night, but they lost star linebacker Brian Cushing with a, tor Brian Cushing, excuse me, with a torn ACL. Big upper slowdown. This loss is a big blow to the Texans' defense. Uh, yeah, it's a big blow, as the Texans lost a great linebacker. Brian Cushion made a lot of plays for that team, uh, a tremendous tackler. Um, Texans lost a good player. They lost a good linebacker in Brian Cushing. So, yeah, the loss hurts. Won't necessarily hurt them in the context of the regular season. They're undefeated, 5-0. and It's a relatively weak AFC South this year. They still have a ton of defensive playmakers in the front seven. Uh, Reed, J.J. Watt, etc. Secondaries played well, too. Jackson. Jonathan Joseph, a cornerback. Um, but I say this is a big deal for the Texans in the context of the postseason. And I look back to last year when they lost Matt Schaub, and TJ Yates had to step in as emergency quarterback. And it would be a shame. The Texans made the playoffs this year, lost Cushing, and then lost another integral part of the team. Uh, the Houston Texans are a motor this year, man. They're dynamite. They look to be unstoppable, defensively, offensively, everything. It would be a real shame if they entered this postseason not at full strength. And Brian Cushing lost for the year with a torn ACL. Could leave some holes in that defense and in that front seven once January rolls around. Speaking of injuries, Robert Griffin III exited his game against Atlanta last week with a concussion. He tried to expand the play in the red zone, ran out of the pocket. Instead of running out of bounds, instead of sliding, he took a massive shot to the head. Uh, big up or slow down. In order to stay healthy, Robert Griffin III has to change the way he plays quarterback. I say big up here. I love how aggressive he is. I love how he moves in and out of the pocket. And he's a better passer than Mike Vick ever was. Robert Griffin III is not Michael Vick. Michael Vick, especially when he was with Atlanta, was a run-first, pass-second quarterback. Griffin is a pass-first, run-second quarterback. He's a quarterback who can run really well, whereas Mike Vick a lot of times was a guy who could run really well and throw okay. <laughs> Robert Griffin III has a terrific arm. 
and I like his playmaking decisions. I obviously love his playmaking ability, and the fact that he can expand plays with his legs uh, is a big part of his game, and it should remain a significant part of his game. But on a play like that in the red zone, if he doesn't get out of bounds, there was room for him to get out of bounds, or if he doesn't slide, he'll get knocked around in this league, and this will be the first of many severe cushions for him to suffer. It's a tough line to cross, especially for a rookie quarterback. But Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, and that Washington coaching staff have to preach to Rob Griffin III. On a play like that, you got to get out of bounds. you got to slide. Or else, what he did on Sunday, that concussion, will be the first of many he suffers in his NFL career. Closing out the show with our fourth down segment, the Tennessee Titans are 1-4. And their former star running back, Chris Johnson, said they aren't close to being competitive. Johnson said this over the past week, close, you look at the games and how we're playing, we don't look like a big, uh, we don't look like a good team. I wouldn't sit here and say we're close. Well, Johnson did all he could this past Sunday in the loss to Minnesota. 15 carries for 24 yards. Awesome. Uh, you take his 141-yard effort against Houston two weeks ago out, and he's averaging 1.4 yards per carry. Awesome. Um, Johnson also went on to say, I feel like I've made some big plays, but the situation of a spark has got to come from somewhere, and getting a spark, that can be big for this team. Uh, no, you haven't made a lot of big plays, Chris. You had a good game against Houston two weeks ago. The team still lost, but all right, you got some good stats there, 140-plus yards on the ground. But if you take that game out, you have 1.4 yards per carry, sir. And 24 yards on 15 carries in the loss against Minnesota is inexcusable. You got that big contract extension, and this year you've done diddly squat. No! You have not contributed. You have not made some plays. Take some accountability. You're the face of that offense. You're one of the leaders of that team. Take some accountability, even if it's not necessarily true. Aaron Rodgers spoke about the Packers' struggles this week, and what did Aaron Rodgers said? He said, I have to play better. I have to play better. And Aaron, he didn't say my offensive line has to protect me. He didn't say my defense has to stop somebody. That defense couldn't even stop stop a nosebleed at this point to throw that cliche out there. But Aaron Rodgers didn't throw his whole line under the bus. He didn't throw his abomination of a defense and abomination of a secondary under the bus. No, he said I have to play better. Even though it's not necessarily true. Aaron Rodgers isn't in the top 20. In terms of problems with the Green Bay Packers right now, Greg Jennings has been in and out of the lineup. The offensive line has been a disaster. The defense, as we mentioned, has been a disaster for the second consecutive year. Can't stop anybody. Rodgers isn't even in the top 20 in terms of problems with the Green Bay Packers and why they're sub-500 entering week six. But he, as the leader of that team, as the quarterback of that team, said, I have to play better. He took accountability, even if it's not necessarily true. Chris Johnson needs to take accountability for the Titans' 1-4 record. That should be your role as the face of the team. And he did not, did not do that. He failed in every aspect of being a leader and deserves to be called out on it. edition of the Football Nation Today podcast, episode number 20 in the books. Thanks for listening. As always, participate in the program 
by leaving a comment on the show comment page on footballnation.com. Shoot me an email, areamer at bu.edu. My email address is also in the show description. And hit me up on Twitter if you feel so inclined. At AlexReamer1 is my Twitter name. So long, everybody. Enjoy your week. Enjoy the playoff baseball. I'm a baseball guy with that occurs Red Sox podcast. Even though the Red Sox, for the third consecutive season, watching the postseason from their couches, uh, still got to love playoff baseball. Got to love the intensity attached to it. And the NFL Week 6. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll talk to you next. More discussion, more fun, and everything in between next Wednesday. So long. Talk then next Wednesday. Football Nation today. We out.